Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Andy Sen, the CTO and co-founder at AppDirect, and we discuss the transition to a subscription first world, creating a personal connection in a remote environment, and how company culture impacts your products and services. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. It's Andy. Hey, how's it going? Amazing. I love the background, man. Oh, yeah. Um, the funny thing is, I mean, obviously, I just took this background straight out of the internet, and I guess it's uh, supposed to be Manhattan. But the funny thing is, it looks very, very similar to the actual background from our office in San Francisco. So we have a building just like this, and then you see the bay. It's obviously the bay, not the river, but it looks very much like this. So why is that why you chose it? Yes. Well, it's beautiful. Well, I, I always am curious about what it looks like without that. We actually were just talking about in our production meeting today, like changing my background. We've been talking oh. about it for like a year or two, and we've been trying to come up with ideas about like, you know, do we use an image? We didn't like the green screen idea. We've also, so like our challenge to our team was mm -hmm. to post in Slack tomorrow morning, their favorite podcast background from their Google searching. And then we're going to kind of look at what everyone's favorite is and narrow it down and come up with a new a new backdrop for, for the video. Got it. Normally, like every single day, uh, I work out of my backyard. Uh, I, I pulled in an extension cord. I've got Wi-Fi set up, so I just sit in the backyard and work. But of course, for this, you know, I can't guarantee there won't be any cars going by or a plane going by or something like that. So I was like, I took over my son's bedroom. Oh, nice. So is he the one that plays the piano? He is the one that plays the piano. That's right. Did you get into that at all or just him? Uh, it's just him. Uh, I, I'm a listener. Have you given him that app on the iPad called Simply Piano? He's got an app on the iPad, but I'm not sure well, if it's Simply Piano or not. Uh, what does that do? Does it kind of like scroll and you can play along with it and it teaches you to like sight read and it goes like as advanced as like full-blown classical professionals? That sounds really good. I am taking a note of that uh, right now. Oh, this was... Uh... Useful already. Yes, I use it. I'm a huge fan. I'm like a third of the way through and it's it's a it's a fun. I do it twice a day for like 15 minutes. And it's amazing because it it helps me be new. Like I started it because it was helping me be new at something, be like completely green. And I always try to have something in my life that like I'm completely inexperienced at because mm -hmm. it reminds me about, you know, how I learn and all of this. And then as you start to make progress in it and it becomes a skill, it becomes more fun and you can push it and grow it. And yeah, it's just, it's a fun part of life. That is very interesting. You know, I, I like learning uh, new skills as well, something totally different from my day-to-day. Uh, -day. And during these crazy uh, COVID times, the thing I tried to pick up, I'm sitting in the, in the backyard all day. Well, let me, let me try to grow some plants. I'm going to try to take up gardening. And uh, I think I successfully killed off every plant I tried to grow. So <laughs> <laughs> definitely a rough start. You know, we we got this like little egg carton mm -hmm. where you just water it regularly and you measure it. You, it's like a project made to do like with the kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the different egg spots, it's got like, you know, two or three different types of, of plants in there. And we got to the point where we grew it to where we needed to pot it. 
mm-hmm. right? Because we grew it inside sure. just on the countertop and like, but then we just got lazy. And if you don't act like really quickly on potting it, they, they just die and they grow out of it and they die. And so we, we let all of ours die. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely harder than it looks. Yes, it is. It takes a lot of attention and a lot of time and it takes consistency on a daily basis. It's like a, it's a pretty involved hobby. Mm-hmm. That's a new podcast. We're actually rebranding. We're going from technology leadership to gardening and piano playing. <laughs> so I'm so excited to have you back on again. Like, this is amazing. Great to be back. Yeah. It's been two years. Like, that blows my mind because I feel like I, I mean, I think about you all the time with your concept of individual ownership became after our conversation, it became a core value of the company. We don't have many of them. We have less than 10, but and the way you described individual ownership stuck with me and it stuck with the culture of our company since the moment we talked. Oh, wow. I, I had no idea. Well, I mean, I'm glad you found it useful. Yeah. Big, big impact. What's changed with you in the past two years? Well, I mean, I think it's a pretty recurring theme. I mean, this 2020 has been, has been pretty crazy for, for everyone, for, from a business side, from a personal side, from our employees, our customers, everything. I mean, uh, I still remember... I guess it was February. I was supposed to fly out uh, one week later to Australia to meet some of our clients. And then when just everything just uh, shut down. And uh, so since then, I mean, it's been interesting. We've obviously gone to a 100% uh, remote workforce. We were one of the first companies uh, which did that. And then using our technology to kind of help businesses, because we're in the business of selling and distributing cloud apps. and helping our customers use these cloud apps and use it even more in this uh, age of COVID uh, has just been a very interesting experience. Yeah. Can you give for the people that didn't hear your first episode, Mm -hmm. we'll have them go back and listen to it. We'll put the links in the show notes, but can you give like the 30, 60 second overview of, of what AppDirect is? Absolutely. AppDirect is a lot of things, but the 30 second version is that we are a subscription commerce uh, company. So if you're a business and you want to either sell or monetize any kind of app. It could be your app or it could be somebody else's app. So for example, some of our clients include uh, Comcast. And Comcast uses our technology to sell Microsoft uh, 365. And AppDirect provides the technology to let people both buy as well as use uh, cloud applications. Amazing, and it's a pretty big app store, right? How How many apps do you have in there? So we have thousands of uh, apps on uh, AppDirect. Some of them are specific for an individual customer. So as I said, it could be uh, Comcast or an ABB or a Telstra putting their own apps on the marketplace. And some of them are kind of universal network apps like a Microsoft or Google, which multiple of our customers uh, resell. Uh, So we have hundreds of these network uh, apps and thousands of just uh, private apps, uh, which we offer. And so what's the benefit on like the consumer side to, to go through that app store? Oh, that's a great question. So there's a couple of things. One is from a consumer, and in our case, the consumers are always small businesses. So the first benefit is, that, is the idea of bundling. They don't have to go to five different vendors to get you know, five different applications or five that they need. They're going to one vendor anyway, let's say for broadband, or let's say to get their tax software. And now they can get all their cloud software in one place under one bill. So you start off with that benefit. And 
And of course, you know, along with getting a bundle, they can get a good deal. But the thing with subscription software is once you buy it, you have to continue to manage it. As you get new employees, you need to give them new seats. As your business grows, you might want to upgrade your subscription. You might want to try something different. And the AppDirect platform gives one place for businesses to go in there and use the applications that they have. It gives you a, a common portal where they can single sign on in, they can add licenses, uh, they can upgrade, downgrade their subscription, they can get uh, data visualizations across the apps that they own of what people are doing in them. Interesting. Have you have you worked with any payroll companies before? So like you integrate into the payroll company. So when people get hired, it will trigger like new licenses or anything like that. So one of our biggest uh, customers is actually ADP, who is the largest payroll uh, company in the world. And so they have a very extensive uh, add-on store, which is all powered by AppDirect. So if you're using ADP for payroll, but Along with payroll, as you said, you want to uh, integrate that to your HR system. And maybe your HR system is done by PeopleSoft or Workday or someone like that. So you can go to the add-on store on ADP, buy the PeopleSoft plugin, for example. And once you buy that, you'll have the integration between your payroll and your HR system. And that entire marketplace experience is powered by the AppDirect platform. That's so cool. It's like in my head, it's like these apps combined with like a little bit of automation with the billing benefit. There's like a lot of little benefits there. I like it. I think it's smart. Like engineering wise, it gets me nerdy too. Cause I'm <laughs> like, I'm a big fan. We just set up a lot of our automation with like Zapier to help our sales teams. And so we've been like really deep in what automation can do for the business. Cause it's, quite unbelievable once you finish an automation and you're like, okay, well, that recurring block on my calendar, that was a 90 minute block that I've done every day for 10 months is just gone now. It's a weird feeling. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, I mean, you're obviously a very sophisticated consumer. You know about technology, you know about people like Zapier. Now, the average small business is just not that sophisticated, but they have to deal with the same challenges. Some of these challenges are accelerated by the work from home environment with COVID. So they need a more packaged one-stop shop where they can uh, get this. So for example, one of our customers is uh, Vodafone in Europe. So when the lockdown started hitting uh, Vodafone, they were already working with AppDirect, but they essentially spun up a new AppDirect marketplace, which was only for giving free tools to businesses who were impacted. So businesses who could just go there and then get free either trials or, or discounted licenses of all kinds of collaboration products like, like Microsoft and other productivity and security tools, antivirus tools. So quickly we could spin that up and let all of Vodafone's customers uh, access these tools uh, you know, during these crisis moments. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's exciting that you guys got to play a positive role and, and, such a big shift that occurred in such an unforeseen way. No, I mean, it, it, it's obviously been a challenge, but it, but as you said, it has been exciting. You know, from a technologist point of view, I mean, there's nothing that gets me more excited when you see people using and appreciating the tools and products that you built. And there have been definitely been examples of that happen. Like, you know, in a small way, we're, we're helping in the crisis. Yeah, I was talking a little bit about 
And I'm curious to get your opinion on this, talking with Chris Wright, who's the CTO at Red Hat. You know, mm -hmm. everybody, I don't think they need an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking about open source software, and I was curious, like, what your thoughts were on open source. Well, our entire stack is predominantly uh, open source. I mean, from the operating system, which is running on Linux, uh, we're, we run on open source Java, open source JavaScript, like using React frameworks. Uh, we pick up large frameworks, you know, like Kafka, for example, for doing uh, data processing. So, I mean, we are essentially an open source shop. So from that point, from, again, from a technology point of view, we're definitely bought into the, uh, op the open source uh, model. Was that your question or your question was like more like how, how does open source uh, play a role during these times? It was a pretty open-ended question. <laughs> so, uh, no, I was just curious about the first question, I guess, would be, you know, how much open source is involved in, you know, your business. And it seems like there's a good amount of open source. Uh, and the second question is just, I guess, just your general thoughts on, on open source and I guess how has it prepared companies to deal with this COVID situation? Are people using open source tools right now to help? I mean, I, I was talking with uh, one of the uh, machine learning people at Sanford the other day and they're open sourcing a lot of their algorithms and their research and that's being used to help process data faster. That's interesting. I don't have any direct uh, knowledge about how open source is helping. But what is absolutely helping is uh, cloud software. So even in 2020, there's a ton of critical business being run off someone's desktop uh, in their office. And people knew about it. They knew they had to transition to the cloud, but they just weren't doing it because it wasn't uh, critical. Well, it just became critical in a matter of hours. So I see a lot of benefits. I mean. The classic example here is Zoom, right? We were using Zoom to do this, uh, this meeting. Whether it's Zoom, whether it's Slack, whether it's Teams, whether it's uh, you know, Google Apps for collaboration. I see a lot of online collaboration software and online tools, which are definitely uh, helping. I think this transition to a work from home environment would have been much harder, if not impossible, even 10, 15 years ago. It's true. Did it was it crazy for you guys to move everybody to remote, or did you already have that set up? No, to be honest, it was it, it was a lot easier than I think we anticipated. I mean, we moved fast. Uh, even before the states mandated the lockdowns, we were uh, hundred percent remote uh, globally because we have offices uh, all over the world, and because we both build on the cloud, you know, our software is deployed at AWS or Azure. And uh, we use extensive cloud tools, and every tool we use internally is, is cloud hosted. Uh, it, ha it happened pretty smoothly. So I'm, I'm glad to say that. Are you noticing any trends of technology emerging right now that's, that's important for you guys? So a couple of things. Uh, from just the process of creating software, especially now that we're in a remote environment. I see a lot of emphasis on software, which really not really measures, but kind of coaches and helps uh, engineers and developer developers be better at their craft. So, you know, we, we've used a, a company called uh, or product called Git prime uh, to. Uh, yeah. Git prime. To, yeah. I mean, uh, 
we got a, sh I think after I got a shout out from them at, at one point in their book, I mean, we were one of their first uh, customers. Oh, really? See, so, do you know yeah. Travis? I do not know Travis. They're just like a, a, a company that you guys do business with that you're close with. And you were an early customer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I see more of that trend of really figuring out how teams are doing their work. Uh, how do you, how are you measuring their outputs? How are you getting them to collaborate together? Like everybody uses some kind of a collaboration software. Everyone's got video conferencing, but how do you really make sure that a virtual team is working effectively? So any kind of tools which help in that aspect, I think is that their adoption is being accelerated pretty quickly. There's a couple other ones that are cool out there. Git Prime, they just sold to Pluralsight about, mm -hmm. I think, a, yes. a year ago. Um, and those guys, from what I hear, those are like some pretty savvy business people at Pluralsight. Uh, so I would bet on their company doing well long term. And I've got some other, other softwares for you, too. There was one that was like blew my mind, this guy out in Seattle, and he actually flew down and like I met and had lunch with him. He was making sort of a competitor to get prime and the name escapes me right now but it was just fascinating what they ended up doing when i when i researched it about how they quantified down to the level of like line impact was the word that they used so they called this they came up with this formula they call it line impact and it basically measures the impact of any given line of code and the way they come up with this I dove really deep into it at the time, but it was, you know, probably eight months ago, but I was just thoroughly blown away because I'd seen Git Prime um, mm -hmm. and Pinpoint's also fantastic and they're out in Texas. Uh, but yeah, so Git Prime, Pinpoint, and then Git Clear. And the guy's Get name clear. is Bill. Yeah, Git Clear, his name is Bill. So this guy, super interesting individual, like really, really uh, composed and structured in his time. And so he owns this other company that does pretty well. They're, they're a marketplace of some sort. I think like a competitor to eBay, but they're pretty big. And uh, it's called Bonanza or Bonanza. And then he needed, he was an engineer and built that product from the ground up, that marketplace from the ground up. And he had the problem that we all have of like, how do you measure developer productivity? And how do you really figure out like who's the most impactful person? Cause it's not just straight commits, right? right? It's, there has to be some like detailed logic behind it. And he's an engineer, full-time, you know, engineering type person. So they came up with this whole internal project and ran it for a couple of years inside. And then they spun it out as get clear. And now he's growing it. It's in its earlier stages, but I was pretty impressed with, with what they had done. And then pinpoint is by the, uh, the guys that did app accelerator. Remember that thing? Oh yeah. Like absolutely. back in the day. Yeah. App accelerator. Oh, yeah. 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 You know so they're totally. Go ahead. Uh, do you know that Accelerator was one of uh, AfterX's first customers? Really? Yeah. We 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 powered their uh, we powered their uh, ad, their add-on store. Oh, it's amazing. I remember because when when they came out, I tried to build an app with it, and <laughs> I didn't I didn't end up using it. I ended up just building it natively, but because it was it was for like a like a larger company, and I wanted it mm -hmm. to be like done where we could hand over the source code and mm -hmm. it would, it, they just negotiated the contract like that. But uh, yeah, they are really cool guys over there. Jeff Haney and they're, they're yeah, out yeah. in Texas. Yeah. Yep. So uh, you said Jeff Haney is now part of, uh, is now uh, Pinpoint is, is his company. 
Yeah, he's a, he's the founder. He has a co-founder, and yep, he's a fantastic individual. Yeah, absolutely. I I met him. I mean, this must have been like ten years ago, like uh, during the accelerator days. Oh, you did. You got to meet him. Yeah, nice. I did. Yeah. He was looking. He was trying to decide because he was in San Francisco, and mm -hmm. he was trying to decide. You know, half he was constantly taking these like four hour plus flights to New York back and forth, and he's like, I need a place that's in the middle, so it's a half flight either place so they settled on texas to uh be the headquarters of pinpoint very interesting yeah check them out check them out they're doing some cool stuff with developer analytics and you know they're nerds too so i think we're all kind of nerds but <laughs> absolutely any other cool things that are going on i've got lots of information in the past two years i've been very busy talking to everybody about what they're building um well i mean look we're we're building a lot. Um, there's, I mean, subscription commerce is such a massive field. And especially when you're talking about pulling multiple products from multiple companies together, there's, you know, how do you sell them? How do you pull data from them? How do you visualize the data? So there's a lot of interesting things going on and the field just keeps uh, expanding. It also, the other interesting thing from an AppDirect point of view is you know, the name is AppDirect. So, you, so you know, we started uh, selling and distributing apps or applications. But as everything gets digitized, everything can be an app. You can think of as an app. Everything from, you know, your a financial product uh, to an energy to a telephone service. I mean, frankly, even a physical product like a, like a laptop or an iPhone is now sold on a subscription basis. So in, in a way, it's an app. So from my perspective, you know, I'm, I'm the technology guy, I'm helping build a product, but it's, I feel like I'm getting a front row seat into, into seeing the world become software. You know, the, that phrase, uh, software is eating the world. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm sitting in the front row and it's just happening in front of my eyes as industry after industry, product after product gets digitized. And of course we see it because once they get digitized, the next thing is, okay, we're now digitized subscription-based product. How do you sell it? How do customers use it? How do you combine it with the other products? So it, it's, yeah, those last two years has definitely seen an acceleration of that trend. I like to think about the future a lot in that regard. Like, mm -hmm. so what you were talking about with subscription and I'd done this project a few, you know, several years ago. And one of the, the biggest things that I learned from that project is how margins adjust in different economic scenarios. Mm -hmm. And so one of the patterns that I subjectively picked up through just going, going around in life was that it seems like as the margins get consolidated or crushed, whatever terminology we want to use, they, they get squashed down. It goes like subscription first, almost like the first it's like subscription, you'll pay like 50 bucks a month. And then mm -hmm. it's de highly detailed usage of mm -hmm resources and so that's like so first it starts a subscription then it gets more granular with like your aws where you're paying like by the the second or the minute or the hour for what you're processing and then so i took that thought experiment and i said okay let's bring this to the farthest extreme and so the farthest extreme is that we would go through our lives and we're only paying for like exactly what we're using it when we need it on demand and it's like gets a good future visualization as far as where your business is positioned <laughs> <laughs> right because you're positioned in the middle of of that but it's just an interesting thought of like taking taking something from like subscription to extreme and it, and it doesn't seem so extreme anymore because my life is essentially 
I can view it through the lens of like subscriptions. I have a power subscription, you know, mm -hmm. energy usage subscription that's detailed. Some things aren't subscribed yet. Like my air conditioning isn't like the unit itself isn't necessarily subscribed yet, but I could see in the future that I wouldn't put out six to 10 grand per unit. I would just rent one at like 50 bucks a month. Right. But it just seems like the whole world is going that way. Uh, absolutely. And it's funny you brought up uh, air, air conditioning. I'm here in California. I mean, the summers are pretty hot. Not to plug them. It's got nothing to do with AppDirect. It's just a pure personal story. Uh, I went and got these uh, product through Tesla Energy, where they put these uh, solar panels on your roof and they put these giant batteries in my garage. So not only do I get solar power, they're also stored in the, ba in the batteries. So at night, the house runs on the batteries. And uh, you know, if there's a blackout or anything like that, I'm still covered. But the interesting thing was like the whole buying experience that Tesla took me through is I was buying an app. I have an app on my phone, which manages this and uh, I have a subscription. So every day I put in my credit card and they charge me uh, an amount of money for this equipment that they've put up. So it's energy. It's not the air conditioning, but it's what's powering my air conditioning in my house. And some pretty serious and very good looking hardware in my garage all digitized and uh, sold as a as a service. I've been thinking about that a lot, by the way. Whenever I'd see in the mall, I'd see the power wall. What do they mm -hmm. call it? The power wall, I think. The power wall, yeah. Yeah, I was like, that looks so cool. Did you get the, you didn't get the tiles, you just got the panels, right? I don't think the tiles are really out yet. I don't think the tiles are out. I wanted the tiles, but they put, I was on a huge waiting list, so I, so I just got the panels. I got the panels and the solar, uh, the solar walls in the garage. Nice. And so, and then does it help? Like, can it charge your Tesla directly? So I, the funny thing is I don't even have a Tesla. Uh, I use it to, <laughs> I use to charge my house. How long, how much can it hold? So this summer, I don't think I've ever used power on the grid. It can, if it's a nice sunny day, it can easily hold enough power for the next uh, couple of days. So if you've got a sunny day and then the next couple of days are cloudy or rainy, it, it, it pulls you through that. Really? That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And so you and you get to monitor it all on your phone. Oh yeah, they've got a beautiful app on my phone with you know, it's very similar to on a car on a. Uh, I've got an old Prius and a, even there, that technology was there saying how much of your power is coming from your gas versus electric. Well, this works the same way. So it's nice visualization showing is your coming is the power in your house coming from your solar panels? Is it coming from the battery or is it being pulled directly from the grid? And it's all there's graphs, there's charts, there's uh, there's historical data, all kinds of things. Have you done any other technological technological upgrades to the house? Like get the Nest thermostat or anything? I do have a Nest thermostat and I do have a bunch of appliances uh, all powered by Alexa. Ooh, what's your favorite Alexa powered appliance? I've got uh, David Spitsky coming back, uh, one of the heads of Alexa in a couple of weeks. I want to talk with him about it. Oh. You know, I don't, well, I mean, obviously I have the Alexa the pod itself. I have the Fire Stick, uh, the 4K for my TV. I love that. And the rest are just smart plugs. Um, so I can do things like, you know, turn on the backyard lights or things like that. Oh, nice. Yeah, we have a smart plugs. So we can turn on like the uh, lighting for the, like we've got these plants and we've got light. When it's Christmas time, we call it the Christmas tree. It's not a Christmas tree. <laughs> it's just this like these fake plants that have like Christmas lights and them that are white. And we could say, Alexa, turn on the Christmas tree and it goes bing and it turns them all on. Yeah. And 
the, again, I'll, I'll pull it back a little bit to kind of more re the relevant work conversation. It's this experience, which I almost now take for granted on the consumer side. It's not there on the business side. And that's essentially what AppDirect is trying to do. So as a small business, wouldn't it be cool to have a dashboard like the way that like a Tesla offers, where you can see all the apps that your business is using. You can see all the employees who's using what app, how they're using it. You can get a visualization, you can get a newsfeed, and you can see how much you're being charged for it in one place. That's what we, that's what we do. So you could do that today. That's not like the future. No, that, that's, that's today. Um, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of like cheating because, you know, I'm looking at what's happening on the consumer world and, and it gives you kind of a preview of what people are using, what people are expecting. And then you, then you got to think, well, okay, that's the experience on the consumer side. How do you take that to the business or the enterprise uh, side of the world as well? And of course, the enterprise side of the world has its own unique challenges, but it's an, but it's an interesting problem to try and solve. Yeah, you've got me thinking. And so your marketplace is large enough, you have enough users, you can actually see when companies are like doing well and growing based off of tracking their usage. That's actually pretty interesting data. It is. I will say right now that we're just beginning to look at that. There's a couple of ideas we have on what we can do with the data. Again, we are not, we're never in the business of selling that data. I mean, we're not an ad company. That's not our business. But there's a lot of interesting products uh, we could offer to potential customers based on the data. We could offer, I mean, obviously, we could, we could know that what, how things are trending. But because we're a subscription commerce company and we see how their subscriptions are going, how their business is trending as well, we can offer potentially like financial products uh, geared um, right towards them. So we're exploring a lot of ideas as the world is getting digitized and more and more products make sense to be uh, sold via a platform like AppDirect. Yeah, I like I like tough conversations. Like there are certain conversations that are hard to talk about, or at least they feel like they're hard to talk about for me, partly because I don't necessarily speak a lot in those areas. But it's interesting when you have, you know, data on your platform and then you kind of have the acknowledgement that like, oh, we didn't do this intentionally. We just slowly built stuff over time to help. And mm -hmm. now we just happen to have this benefit. Like, what do we, you know? what do we ethically do? How do you handle ethics? Do you have like an ethics person? Like, how do you approach that? We don't have a ethics, like a dedicated ethics person. Um, what, we, what we do have is because we start in the subscription commerce space for a company our size, we are, have an incredibly strong culture around uh, compliance and data privacy. It's, it's almost like we didn't have a choice. Like we work with companies like Vodafone, Deutsche Telekom, Telstra, all over the world in countries and jurisdictions which have far more data privacy requirements than the US. We, we're transacting you know, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars through our systems. So we've got all the credit card companies involved and they've got all their own regulations. So we are very cognizant of the information that our customers are giving us, whether that's their payment information, whether that's their behavioral uh, information. And frankly, in the end, our main goal is to enable subscription commerce for the people who are gonna sell 
and provide value for the people who are trying to buy. As I said, giving them a common dashboard, letting them buy multiple products together. As we grow this data and we can use this data to provide value to either side of the marketplace, we'll do that. But again, that's not our primary focus. It's the data is there to enable us to offer a better service to our uh, sellers and buyers. I like that. That's a good position to take. Let's just use the data to continually making a better service. That's like a really solid position. I'm curious too, like speaking of tough conversations, I was reading on online this morning about the tech CEOs that are going in front of Congress. Have you read it at all about that? I knew they were going on in front of Congress. I, I saw the news yesterday, but I haven't, I don't know if they've already gone there. I saw that uh, Jeff Bezos had, uh, had sent over this prepared statement, uh, a very polished statement, but I haven't actually read it or, or looked into it. Yeah, I haven't looked into it a whole lot either. It actually came up on my radar this morning. And I, in one of the articles I was reading, they kind of snipped some of the opening statements and some of the opening arguments. And I was like, they're pretty good arguments for like anti-competitive behavior, but you know, it's one thing you, you have to hear all sides, right? Mm -hmm. And like just reading the opening statement of the CEOs, of course, it's going to be in defense of the their their position. So it's I'll, I'm interested actually to see like the counter arguments to to what they're doing. But maybe maybe we'll have like a policy expert on. <laughs> well, that would be interesting. So I'm not even aware what the counter argue are the people who are bringing them in front of Congress or the Congress people talking about breaking up potentially these large tech companies? Is that their focus? I don't know if it's to break them up or it's to get them to address the anti-competitive claims. I'm not, I'm not exactly entirely sure like the root of it. Got it. Now, clearly I'm not a policy expert by any means. I don't even pretend to be one on a podcast, but it is interesting because you know, some of these anti-competitive laws and tools were built over a hundred years ago. And the outcome was more obvious. You wanted to break up a railway monopoly. Well, you break them up by region. Uh, same thing with the, with the telephones, with what they did with the old uh, AT&T. In the 90s, when they were talking about breaking up Microsoft, it was like, well, there should be an operating system and an apps. It makes sense. But now when you've got these kind of hyperscaled, networked companies, whether it's a social network or an ad network, it's not even clear what the remedy would be. Like, how do you break something like that up? Uh, and I think people underestimate the outcomes or the effects you could have if you kind of use the old model on the new. Like, even if you win the argument or even if the argument is valid that you need to break them up, well, break them up how? You obviously want to do it for the public good, but changing them to affect that public good, I, I think, is not obvious at all. And I'm suspicious of anyone who says that they have, a, they have the answer all figured out. That's what I don't understand. And you bring up a valid point too. We'll call this like the amateur conversation. And then we'll go like mm -hmm. check all of our thoughts against like actual <laughs> intelligent people on the subject. But I think you bring up an interesting point of conversation. And that is that back in the day, a or like a regional breakup would make more sense. But now with the way that companies are run, you can run company anywhere in the world, period. Like if you break them up, like, and they were different companies, I mean, wouldn't they still be like reporting up? Like what would prevent that from happening or prevent them from like, you know, okay, let's say one of the big 
guys, they, they, they split off one of their organizations, right? They make, let's just say Facebook takes Instagram and spins it out, right? Well, whoever they spin it out to or whatever that is, like, why wouldn't they have a direct connection and want to work with Facebook towards whatever plan they're going towards anyways? Like, how do you actually like enforce that on a larger scale? I don't know. Right. And in this case, again, I think there's some people have an emotional reaction like, oh, Facebook is too big. Facebook has too much power. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I mean, that's a very valid uh, kind of thing to say. But you have to think about, well, what is the consumer benefit that I want? I mean, is it that you think Instagram is a monopoly? There should be a dozen other valid sites where you can upload and look at your images. And is that what you're going to do? And if so, what's the barriers to it? I mean, the tech barrier is minimal. I mean, if you, you can get like a bunch of good engineers and create a photo uploading uh, site pretty quickly, it's not going to go anywhere because what's important is not the network effect. It's not that Facebook will crush you. Or sorry, it's not the technology which is important. It's not the fact that Facebook is out there trying to crush you. It's that you need to build up that network effect. And that network effect as a consumer is incredibly valuable. It's extremely valuable that all my contacts are on Instagram. So as an expert, when you're proposing some kind of a change, you've got to bring that back and say, okay, how am I going, how is the change I'm proposing going to actually affect the public? Because in the end, I mean, that's what you're trying to do. Was I uh, breaking up a little bit? Let's see. Okay. So I found out the problem yesterday for the first time in like 300 episodes. <laughs> the My like AirPods, they just blanked out like mid episode. And I was like, that's never happened before. I checked the charge before they were hundred percent and then they just did it again. And it's been like 40 minutes. So what's happened is the batteries have gotten worn out. They don't like, they don't last anymore. Ah. Yeah. What do you use for your headphones? Oh, these are the Bose uh, noise canceling ones. Yeah. They're great for flying. I'm a big fan Absolutely. Of yeah. No, I, uh, I actually bought them exactly for that, for the plane rides. I was doing a lot of traveling uh, last year, uh, just, you know, visiting clients, visiting our offices. We now have offices in, in Buenos Aires as well as India. Uh, so a lot of flying last year, not so much this year. I know. It's tough. How, how are you handling it? Uh, again, it's, it's been surprisingly good. Again, from my perspective, like I said, we have employees all over the world and some of those places, their lockdowns are much stricter. People are having a harder time. Here in the US, here in California, it hasn't been that bad. Yeah, I, I miss it. Like I definitely do. It was hard at first. It was really hard to adjust because like you, I was you know, in different cities like every other week and it was uh, you know, just a different pace that you're moving at and then you realize that like you're stuck and like it actually changes the dynamics of your like interpersonal relationships too like I just noticed like between like my family and I it's like oh this is just it's just different it wasn't necessarily bad and just to not go anywhere for such an extended period of time started to feel feel pretty pretty weird it, it does I mean what I miss the most is definitely like those personal connections and this is something that you know I've been thinking about as well. When we moved to an all virtual environment, we saw that it didn't affect the team's output or productivity at all. And that's just not right after act. I mean, I think universally that that's been the case. But a lot of that is because 
these are the people that we have met before, that we have worked with before. And to move to a virtual environment, you still have those interpersonal relationships. Now, at AppDirect, I mean, we're, we're doing well as a company, we're expanding, we're hiring uh, people all over. And it's a totally different challenge when you onboard someone remotely. Now, there are remote-only companies who have been doing this for years very successfully, but it is a different culture change because now you're hiring people who are remote, you've never seen, you've never even seen them during an interview. And now you have a mixture of people on your team, some of whom have seen each other, have had interpersonal relations before, versus people who are completely virtual from day one. And I don't know what exactly the answer is, but we're looking at that, trying to figure out like, how do we integrate them into the team? How do we make sure everyone's on the same page? How do we make sure that people are comfortable? And we don't get into this weird situation where there's the people who used to be physical versus the you know remote, the native remote people. But how do we actually merge them together so they work effectively as a team? It's an interesting problem. Where are you at right now with trying to solve it? So I don't think we have, we're conscious of it. We have the managers making sure that new virtual people are put in to kind of virtual uh, meetings. They're included, they're onboarded, that they're not just kind of forgotten about. That's number one. As a company, we're doing a ton of events to try to get people uh, together. So two of them, which I thought was kind of fun, like I think one of them was this last week. We have a here kids to, to work day. So we turned that on their on its head and, and had a bring your work to kids day, where it was like a virtual uh, session. We had our CEO reading stories to kids. Uh, we had like kids doing things. We had a virtual visit to a farm. And, you know, you kind of got to see into everyone, all your coworkers' living rooms. You got to see their families. You know, that was fun. We have done like kind of virtual, uh, virtual wine nights where everyone's in their own home. You get your bottle of wine. And uh, it's not just a happy hour. You have like wine experts come on, like talk about various, various, uh, various things related to wine, talk you through tasting notes. And, you know, we're trying as much as possible to have these kind of events which bring people together. Another thing which actually we have helped with this, with this virtual environment is we had these programs where you were just matched up at random uh, with people in the company and you met for coffee for 15 minutes in a week, just get to get to know what they're doing. But that was obviously per office. And now we have those same programs. So since they're virtual, I mean, it could be anybody in the same time zone, like anybody in North and South America. So you meet up with the people selected at random, you have a short conversation, you get to know who they are, and you get to kind of build those personal connections. That's actually pretty cool. Do you use like a specific software for that? Uh, we do uh, for the for these meetups. I don't know what's what the exact software is. That's, that's pretty bad because they've integrated it so well into Slack that it's just a Slack bot. So every week I, I get a Slack message saying, hey, you've been matched up with this guy. There's a link right there. Do you want to schedule a Zoom call? And you do it like a little 20-minute Zoom call. It's, it's been great. That's actually really cool. It's amazing because then you know, your business is relying on it and you're using it, but it's just kind of integrated right into your flow of life. They should just name the bot better to like be like the brand name of the, the company. 
I, I know. I was just thinking like, well, it's 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 so good, and you know, we we've got a little funny name for it internally, uh, but I have no idea who the company is who did it. What do you call it internally? Donut be a stranger, where you you have a virtual donut, donut <laughs> with the person. So it's like the donut app. It's the donut app. That's right. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so what are you doing right now for fun to like unwind? Like, how do you, how do you decompress from, from work and get back to, get back to Andy? So a couple of things. Um, it is kind of fun spending, uh, spending time with the family yeah. because of these circumstances, we haven't actually gone anywhere or we had vacations planned. We kind of canceled them. You know, the places we were trying to go, they were under quarantine. I mean, it's, it's, it was a mess. So definitely the plus side of that is getting a chance to spend more time with the family. That's interesting. We talked about it a little bit before for me, just spending more time outdoors. I think I've spent more time outdoors in the last three months than I have in my entire life, just because I'm sitting outdoors most of the day, you know, trying to do, do a little bit of gardening, uh, just walking around or bicycling around the neighborhood. In a way, it, you feel a little bit more connected locally to what's going on. And that's interesting, or that's, I think that's important because at work, it's all virtual and you're you know, talking or interacting with people all over the world. I feel like it's important to keep yourself grounded to balance that out. Yeah, I like how you mentioned connected locally because it was this really interesting vibe, like the first two weeks, two or three weeks of the lockdown where like everyone was outside in my neighborhood and you're like, look at all of these people and their families and, you know, different houses are doing different chalk drawings on their driveways. And it just was like, whoa, it felt so cool. And all I could think mm -hmm. of was like, it's like a movie. It's like, why doesn't this happen all the time? And it's because everyone's so busy doing something, going somewhere, you know, moving on. Like it, we don't have, that local community there's just too much to do there's like too many things happening and it definitely went away after a couple of weeks right but in those in those few weeks i like i very much appreciated them my runs were like there was more people on the streets than cars and inside of our neighborhood and it was just uh it was just a cool as you know it's it's horrible the way like it happened right with mm -hmm. the whole covid thing but it was a really cool moment. And, and in that, I felt very connected to like my neighborhood, something that I had never, never felt. The last time I felt that way was when I was a child and I got free play, you know, where like you come home from school, you go outside with the neighbors, we'd go play in the woods, we'd go around. Like I, I hadn't felt that sense of like, there's other people in the neighborhood like that for, you know, over 20, 20 something years. And so that was, it was a pretty exciting feeling. No, I totally agree. That that local connection, I think, is uh, really important. It's also important because I think studies have come out, as people have told me this, I haven't verified it, but it, but it sounds likely, that looking at a screen and having these meetings actually tires you out significantly more than sitting across a table and talking to people. I think they've, they've done actual studies showing you know, eight hours of Zoom or Google Meet versus eight hours of sitting across a conference room the virtual meetings are significantly more taxing. So it's important to kind of take a break once in a while, like just take your eyes off the screen, look around, look at, walk around the neighborhood and kind of stay grounded locally, both because the world's a kind of crazy place and you need some grounding, 
but also to kind of balance the way we are using the tools that we need to use to do our day-to-day business. Yeah, there's definitely like, it's amazing looking back at my schedule, like when I was doing the speaking and traveling around the amount, like the length of my days and the, in the hours, it was, it was a lot to think about, but there's something about getting energy from people. Like when you're traveling, mm-hmm. there seems to be like energy and then you're, you know, you're talking to a group and then you get energy back from that group. And it's not always amazing. Right. But like you, you, you meet with individuals and you pick up and it's like that we have, we even have words for it, feed off of other people's energy. Like that's right. That, and it happens way like a a million times stronger in person. And that, that's really, really interesting to see first, how you quantify that scientifically. And secondly, will we be able, whoever cracks the nut on like being able to emulate that, by being not in person. And here's the thing. I don't think it's as simple as just like a hologram. I don't mm-hmm. think that's it. It might be something that you can only get in person. You know, it, no one's said that it can be, you know, persisted online or transmitted online, but I'm really interested in like what that X factor is. Like, what is that quality? Like what is happening on a particle level or like on a physics level when two people are in the room engaging and going off of each other's energy versus the same two people, but not being in the same room. It's an interesting, interesting thing for me to think about. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I, I don't know if you're, that's your hypothesis, but I, I also suspect there's something to do with the actual physical nature of it. Uh, I know when this whole thing happened, we initially looked into, well, does it make sense to try doing some kind of conferences over something like an Oculus uh, to get into a fully virtual environment? And, you know, and, and I think a lot of people looked at that, but it just didn't take off. The cost-benefit ratio just wasn't, wasn't right for something like that. It didn't give you the benefits of in-person, and it's not as easy to set up as like the Zoom meeting, for example. You're exactly right. When you compare Oculus interaction versus Zoom interaction, the Zoom is just a simpler, faster, easier way and less hassle. You're going to get a similar result. And, you know, I've played with the Oculus. I've gone to the, mm-hmm. the conferences and put on the future tech. And, you know, I'm ex- I, I just think that the fact that I don't have to wear an apparatus is such a benefit. Like the moment you get to that point where like you're putting something on and the field of vision is less than your available right. field of vision, it just doesn't feel right. When they solve that, when what I'm seeing is like, cause what happens is you see these videos, these like animations of the Oculus and the 3D stuff. But then when you go and you put it on in real life, if you get the chance, mm-hmm. like even the magic leap, right? Have you gotten yeah. to put the magic leap on? Yeah, I've tried both the magic leap and the Oculus, yeah. Yeah, they're they're. I like to describe it as they're exciting and disappointing at the same time. They're exciting because this is the future, and they're pouring money into it, and it will get better, and it is progressing, and I'm so happy to be alive right now. But it's disappointing because it's like not close to where it needs to be in my imagination. No, it's not there yet. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll get there with like. I don't even know if that's the method. I mean, who knows? You might see like Neuralink advance, right? And then at this, and then they kind of like emerge. So you get like, you can use all the software and animations that were pushed forward and all the content that was pushed forward by these like VR systems. But then the mm-hmm. actual implementation is going to be more of like a, um, you know, Elon Musk type Neuralink. Well, I mean, I think he tweeted just a few days ago that 
you know, he like he likes to tease these things out. He's like, oh, there's going to be this Neuralink uh, announcement in a month. I'm like, all right. Well, I mean, you know, he's he's obviously going to hype it out, but I'm definitely keeping my eyes open for that announcement. I'm really excited to to hear how that's going. Did you follow? Have you been following their previous announcements? Uh, I've followed some of them. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure which one you're uh, you're referring to. Well, I think there's only been like one other big one. Like the company came out. It was quiet for so so long. And I think about a year or a year and a half, maybe two years ago, they did this like YouTube one where they had all the researchers, yes. they, yeah, they yeah. were researchers come that. on and show. Yeah. And they said that it wasn't about, it was the, the focus was recruiting people on these technologies, not necessarily saying we've have the biggest, greatest thing in the world. But I watched that whole, that whole talk and all those people discuss it just to understand, you know, where the state of this stuff is. And I thought it was brilliant because they have this vision, but it's also associated with a business model where they can make money today, which means right. it'll just keep growing and growing. And then eventually the vision will be achieved. That's the hardest thing. Like you can have big visions, but being able to boil it back down and associate it with a business model today is a hard, hard thing to do. Absolutely. And again, finally bringing it back to something I, I can claim a little bit knowledge about. Yeah. I mean, at after I mean, that's essentially what we've done. Like we've had this incredible vision since day one, since the CEO started the company. But I think the challenge always has been is one path you could have taken was just the magic leap or something like that. Just raise a whole lot of money and just go for the vision and see if you can make it. But I think we've done an actual, uh, a different tack, which is, you know, which is even more interesting, which is making sure at every step on the way to that vision, we come out with a product which can be used is making actual positive benefits to the people who are using that product and fulfilling our business model. So we're making money as we go along the path. That's the journey we've kind of always been on at AppDirect and uh, it seems to be going pretty well. Does your CEO have like a, a statement for like the biggest, farthest vision of the, of the company? I mean, Je Jeff Bezos has already taken on the everything store. So uh, <laughs> I would say like, sell all digital services and you know the, you the, the definition of digital just keeps expanding every day i love it pretty soon you'll have air conditioners you can buy <laughs> and solar <laughs> systems <laughs> on the AppDirect store that that yeah yeah is that can you can we do that can we get tesla on there <laughs> oh someone's gonna have to speak with elon uh, so that, that's that, that might be a hard sell i'll work on it yeah. <laughs> Boom. Mic drop from Andy. Dude, you crushed it. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really excited. And I, I wasn't kidding earlier when I said that the individual ownership thing that, that you brought has stuck with us since the moment, since the moment I spoke with you. And it's something that we, you know, recognize each other for in Slack when it happens. And it's, it's really shaped the culture of, of the company. So I'm very grateful for you for that. Yeah, thank you. And it was uh, great uh, having the chance to talk. I mean, I've already taken notes of a bunch of these apps that you uh, recommended, uh, both for employee oh, productivity yeah. as well as piano playing. Yeah, no, they're they're good. I'd definitely check them out and uh, let me know how they go. And we'll catch up again in another, we won't let it go two years, maybe next year. Uh, sure. We'll catch up again and uh, get figure out what's happened post, post COVID. <laughs> the zombie Absolutely. apocalypse is over. It will be the title of the episode. That's right. I'm I'm really looking forward uh, to going in the future and seeing that as well.
Excellent. Have a wonderful afternoon, Andy. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you, Joel. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.